Hi, Matthew. I'm Fabian Baker, the Managing Director of Kings Rose Mining. Uh, Kings Rose is a company that formerly operated a gold mine in Indonesia, but we're in the process of, of selling that and we have um, gone to a shift in, a, in focus to exploration. We've recently acquired some exceptional assets in Scandinavia with a focus on platinum group elements, nickel and copper, and uh, we're advancing those with our substantial cash balance, um, which we're adding to through, through the sale of our, uh, uh, our mine in Indonesia. Hi, I'm Joe Kadaravik. I'm the CEO of Cobalt Blue. We're the 100% owner of the Broken Hill Cobalt Project. That's a top five ex-Africa cobalt producer. It's a unique primary cobalt operation with an integrated mine refinery that will ship cobalt from 2025 to enable over 300,000 EVs per annum for 20 years. Thank you. Hi, Matt. I'm Tony Rivera. I'm Managing Director of Azure Minerals. Azure Minerals was for many years operating in Mexico, but when COVID came along, we sold our assets in Mexico and we refocused back into Western Australia. We acquired the Andover Nickel and Copper Sulfide Project, where we've been working actively now for two years. We've uh, defined the initial mineral resource. We're currently drilling out a second deposit and there'll be a second Nickel and Copper resource announced uh, later this year. And uh, we've got many other targets where we're currently drilling at the moment. And Andover is shaping up to be a, a project that will be a, a nickel camp in its own right, with multiple deposits or mines feeding into a, a central processing facility. And uh, we have a, uh, a scoping study underway at the moment, and that should be uh, ready for publication in the first quarter of next year. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Fabian, Joe, Tony, welcome um, to our little panel today. We're going to be talking today um, about subjects, topics, variables, uh, and, uh, and and other things pertaining to how we, retail investors, should feel about the investment uh, opportunities in front of us today, some of the investments that we're in. Um, but we've all got something in common. We're all very, very nervous about what's going on out there um, at the moment. So, like Fabian, um, I'm going to start, start with you, if I may. Um, you have kind of um, segued over to Scandinavia. You're looking at PGEs and uh, nickel cobalt. Um, you're... You're, you know, you're, um, you know, very much focused on that kind of European ecosystem, but you're, you're being affected by what's going on in the world, just like every other junior mining company at the moment. Um, you know, are, are you, are you nervous? You know, should your shareholders be nervous in this environment? Well, uh, I think the first point to make is, um, you know, I think the, the, the longer term fundamentals behind commodities, um, and, and, you know, certain ones in particular that, that drive new, New technologies going forward is in a long term, um, with a longer term view, very strong. And that's also reflected in government policies more and more so. Um, so I think the, the current, uh, lack of confidence in the market and, and caution that we're seeing in investors, um, is hopefully more of a shorter term, um, approach. And I think the longer term prospect is still very good. So, so that, that gels very well with what we're doing. Um, you know, we, we take a long-term view on exploration. You know, it isn't a short-term business. Um, the fundamentals are, in our view, what's key. And so the old ad adage, uh, the rising tide floats all boats. You know, I think uh, a rising market, um, is, is, is less challenging. It's what you do in these times that, that set you up for success when things do improve. So we're well positioned for that with with focusing on those fundamentals of, of, of really good quality assets that are well funded for us for the next two or three years at least to, to see us through, um, you know, a weaker sentiment. 
and, uh, and, and, and to, to drive those forwards with, with an adequate team and budget to do what's needed to, to be successful. Right. And Joe, you're a slightly more advanced project. You're in your development phase. You're, you're building demonstration plants. Are, are you more or less immune than exploration companies? Uh, look, I'll just build on those earlier comments. I, I, we just keep on keeping on. So we're looking at a very strong development pathway. So for us, that's, a, that's an Aussie 50 million spend effectively on technical studies by middle of next year. We're making products, so we're making the final product now for customers, um, and that's being shipped. So all of this development work uh, that comes ahead of, of EPC and, and then construction, whether the market is tanking around us or whether it's going gangbusters, our clients ultimately are looking at cobalt dated from 2025 onwards. So um, long-dated assumptions in commodities don't change in a heartbeat. Uh, spot market does. But long-dated assumptions are built on well-entrenched views, and we're dealing with those who are making the industry. So we're very comfortable that nothing in the long term is changing. Indeed, I think the tailwinds are building. Um, we're very comfortable with our own position in terms of funding and, and the strong development pipeline. And the next six or 12 months will, will be what they'll be. And what about you, Tony? You know, you've, you've obviously, off, well, offloading your, your Mexican asset focus back in Australia. Um, why was that? Was that a case of let's get focused on a tier one jurisdiction? Was that get focused on battery metals, which is you know might make um, in terms of the long term prospects of the company might make things a little bit easier? Well, we found that operating in Mexico was becoming more and more difficult, and and then when COVID came along, it virtually made it impossible uh, for the foreseeable future at that time, and we made the the election to. Uh, put everything on care and maintenance and pivot back into Western Australia, which is a tier one exploration and mining jurisdiction. Um, and we were looking for nickel and copper and gold assets. And we were able to acquire interest in several different projects, including the Andover Nickel Project. And it just so happens that uh, it was a, a project that was acquired at just the right time. <clears throat> and uh, Azure is in a, in a, probably in the middle between where Cobalt Blue is and where King Rose is. Uh, we're, we're a company that uh, has probably advanced past the basic exploration stage. We're now into the resource definition. Uh, we're also carrying out the uh, various development studies and the near-term price fluctuations of the various metals, that particularly the ones we're interested in of nickel, copper and cobalt, are in some ways mostly irrelevant because like Joe, we're, we're looking out several years into the future to be able to uh, develop um, the project all the way through the feasibility study and into the uh, the operational side. So and yes, there are up short-term fluctuations and volatility going at the moment. But if you're a, a company with a really good project, then you can see several years out in front of you, then there should not be a problem going forward. So Fabian, tell me this. Um, I'm a retail, a retail investor. Um, I know that it's you know high risk, high leverage type investing to invest in exploration companies um but at the same time i've always got a view on the the thematics which will work you know i'm feeling slightly mm -hmm. nervous about the 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 prices seem to have come off on in terms of nickel and copper in recent uh weeks um you know, again should i be nervous or am i buying into the right thesis yeah well look i think um it, it's moments like these that are opportunity actually for investors um there's you look at pretty much across the board at what's happened to share prices over the last particularly two or three months um, and, and even a little longer. Um, you know, with, with, with the view that the long-term fundamentals are there, um, then, you know, these are buying opportunities. And so what you need to look at is what are the specifics of the 
of the company or the project, et cetera, that, that you're thinking about investing in. Um, and, and you're looking, therefore, for those, those companies that, that have that, those fundamentals in place. Um, exploration and mining is a, is a long-term business. And so at times, the junior market can be a bit inefficient in how it, how it funds and supports exploration companies with, with, with small cash balances, living hand-to-mouth, and they, they can't take that long-term view. Um, you know, I think what, what, what we hope to provide, and, and I see others here on the panel and, and elsewhere, is an opportunity at a quality asset uh, and then, you know, the cash backing to ride through those, those sort of shorter term ups and downs. Um, so absolutely, now's a buying, buying opportunity, uh, but you need to find those, those companies that have the fundamentals in place that will be well placed to, to come out of that um, and, you know, accelerate out of that um, ahead of others. Okay, Joe, you, you kind of moved down that, that um, curve, as it were, and you, your development company now. So in terms of fundamentals, I, I suspect you've got a little bit more of a, a, a view of, you know, what it takes to kind of get, you know, to the stage you're at and hopefully beyond. So fundamentals mean what to me? What should I be thinking about? Yeah, um, I, I'm smiling because my wife's a financial planner and she hates me giving this kind of advice, but I'll do it anyway. just to make sure she doesn't see the, the segment. Um, look, I've always thought whether we were when we were an explorer or in, in current development, there's really two choices for uh, for investors, and it comes down to this: pick the right commodity, and if you if you believe in uh, copper, nickel, cobalt, and you still believe in it, then what does the next six or twelve month matter? It doesn't matter. And the next question really is simple: pick the right token, pick the right company that'll exploit that commodity. So it's commodity and company. Once you've picked those two. Everything else will fall into place, whether you're an explorer or a developer. Um, in company terms, we get a lot of inquiries, as I think all the other panellists do. It's all about assets and management that can bring those assets to production. And in terms of management set, look for strong development pipelines, look for punchy timelines, look for punchy deliverables and real examples of investing, whether that's in the ground or ultimately in development and the other technical work programs. So. Um, it's not rocket science, but it does take you to stick to your conviction during these tougher times. And, and what about you, Tony? I mean, you're at exploration stage um, right now. It must, it must, it must, must seem bleak <clears throat> out there for an exploration company. Um, well, that's the thing is that we're not we're past that exploration stage at the moment, <clears throat> and we're sort of in that uh, development study stage as well as still doing a lot of drilling as well. But what people still need to remember is that only <clears throat> two years ago, metals prices were probably half what they are today. And we had a huge uplift. So metals prices do fluctuate up and down. That's just the nature of the business that we're in. Um, and if people can look beyond that short-term weekly or monthly cycle, and you can look out one, two or three years, things do turn around and they turn around very quickly. And we've seen that in 2020, 2021, 2022, just how quickly metals prices can turn around. And, you know, for example, you know, zinc, not that I'm looking for zinc, but zinc trebled in, in, within two years. And uh, nickel double. So there's there are some really good long term um, opportunities out there, but you just have to have the belief to stick with it. Okay, but if you, if we look at the, the the kind of global picture at the moment, you've kind of got China just coming out of a kind of COVID um, lockdown. You've got um, Europe sort of trying to get their kind of well, you're all pretty much battery metals, you know, trying to get their act together. They're throwing money um, at the problem. The US is promising large infrastructure. Um, uh, development programs. Um, how how do you guys take advantage of that? How, how, why are you looking so confidently, you know, at the kind of broad market and saying, you know, what this thesis is 
absolutely spot on. We're in the right space. And therefore, me as an investor, I should be, I should be, you know, learning something from that. I should be, you know, listening to you. Um, I mean, Fabian, what, what's, what's your message to shareholders and to the broader market about why you're in the right thematic? Yeah. Well, you know, the market and market sentiment from the investor side is, is sort of only one part of the picture here. You know, what, what makes a successful exploration or development or mining company you know, takes a lot more ingredients. Um, and so from, from our point of view, you know, you may have choppy markets, but, but that recognition of the importance of, 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 of domestic supply, uh, within Europe for our, in our case, um, and, you know, of critical metals for these key, key industries, that, that feeds through to the mindset of government, which has an impact on permitting and, and can filter through into the communities as well, who, you know, people are starting to take, a, you know, much more of a personal interest in, their carbon footprint and you know the the, the future of, of our planet. So, you know, from our point of view, even though we are with our new assets in Scandinavia at a very early stage, we're doubling down on on those other factors um, because there's there's countless number of companies that may have even had a good asset but have come unstuck and haven't managed to go you know go the distance um, because of permitting or community or permitting you know government issues. So, um, you know, we we. We are throwing, we are putting money into and an effort into those sorts of foundations as well. So it's quite unusual for a company of our stage. You know, we have a, you know, quite a substantial sustainability team um, because we're in Scandinavia. It's, it's front and center of the agenda there. And, and what we're doing is positioning our projects even now from day one with, with solid foundations with the communities, but also even an, an understanding within government and the EU that, well, well, our assets could be one of the answers to this EU Green Deal and an action plan on critical raw materials. Um, so yeah, you know, there's a lot of other factors that go into making a successful uh, business in in our industry. But what what are you hearing out there in terms of conversations? That I mean, okay, well, I'll stick with you, Fabian, for me. Um, yeah. So you you say you you're in the you in the right part of the world because you know the the kind of the kind of various green initiatives across um, Europe and, and the amount of money that has been thrown at it would, would suggest that people want to talk about this subject. But what are they saying to you that gives you comfort that your business will be allowed to thrive? You know, and I say that in the context of looking in South America, where you know governments and politics are perhaps getting in the way of mining. So, what, what's yeah. special about Europe? Well, this is one of the reasons we've we've made this transition to Scandinavia. Um, the the timelines involved in what we're doing, um, in some aspects, on face value, might seem extended, but at least we know what we're dealing with, and and what we're dealing with is generally a rational system and a and a and a well laid out system. Um, so so there's a permitting process for us there that that we can rely on, um, and again that that. Uh, that thematic around um, recognizing we can't just off outsource Europe's production of, of certain materials to places with lower human rights standards, lower environmental standards, etc., is is starting to come through. Um, and and for example, even in in the UK, not that we have assets in the UK, but it's sentiment. You know, the British Geological Survey a couple of days ago released their first critical metals list. Um, and uh, you know, from our point of view, with 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 predominantly platinum group metal dominant assets, it was really interesting to see both both the EU actually and the UK place PGEs right near the top in terms of in terms of metals. Um, and so, when it comes to our asset, you know, we're we're really 
hitting the nail on the head in terms of what what governments are looking at. Okay, interesting. And, and Joe, look, you've been you've been doing the rounds. You've been out there looking and talking to strategic partners. People are coming to your project, Broken Hill, testing your products. But and and you know, you've spoken to battery manufacturers and OEMs alike. I mean, what comfort are they giving you that I can perhaps lean on in terms of my investing decisions? Look, I'll, I'll just take that earlier conversation a step further because okay. I've been asked what. Is there a two-tiered market coming up in critical minerals, ethical sourcing versus non-ethical source? My response to that, based on discussions we're having, is there is no price for metal sources that are, that are deemed unethical or non-sustainable in these new OEMs. There is no price. The, the Europeans clearly are leaders. So meaning mean, mean, mean what? As in, they will not buy it? They won't buy it. Okay. They won't buy it. Unless you're independently certified, um, and you meet their standards, and those standards will change. So the, the CO2 levels will change, the, the sustainability levels will change. Unless you meet them today and, and agree on a pathway to meet them in the next 5, 10, 15 years, you will not get a contract to supply critical minerals for any one of the iconic automotive OEMs that, that Europe represents today. That standard will shortly be, I think, the North American standard as well. And that puts all of us on this panel, whether you're based in the EU or based in um, North America or Australia, I think we're in strong positions to effectively tailor our approach to meet those standards. I have little doubt, and obviously I've got a cobalt focus, I've got little doubt that the Canadians and the Australians will be setting up raw material um, feedstock industries to the EU and, and North America. The EU Parliament um, uh, preferences its own, so they look to be self-sustainable. So if you're based in, in the EU, that's even better. But all of those standards are being in place now and they're being regulated. And I'll give you an example of a very humorous um, conversation we had the other day with an iconic OEM. They took us through this, uh, the IRMA platform, which is the Initiative for Responsible Mining. And it's, this, it's a sustainability standard now that's probably the most onerous, but it's one that the likes of um, VW, GM, uh, Mercedes and others are keyhole members of. And Effectively, we were being, as Australian miners, being asked what, what was our attitude towards slavery and how are we going to ensure that it won't pass. So there's an assumption now, and you, I know that sounds silly, but you've got to assume that the sourcing for these companies going forward is agnostic to the source and historically has been, in, in, in cobalt terms, heavily dependent on Africa. And so these style of questions, which for us are a, a gentle a hurdle to come over, are ones that gives us a strategic advantage. So I think do not miss, do not underestimate the opportunity set for those who can make maintain these standards and deliver into them in the next decade. So it sounds like it's easier to do business in Australia, Tony. Is it? Well, it depends whereabouts in Australia you are. <clears throat> I know that uh, having worked around Broken Hill, it's it's a, it's a mining centre of the eastern part of Australia. Where we operate in the West Pilbara, it's it's the mining centre of Western Australia, and. Uh, We've got iron ore miners, we've got oil and gas producers offshore, we've got great big salt producing ponds as well. There's there's a huge amount of mining activity going on there. And so mining is very well accepted, both by the local population, the communities, but also by the, the local and state governments as well. So there's a very strong push to make these centres of, of mining in, in West Australia and in Australia a lot more broadly to be... Uh, to be the, the, the go-to sources for these metals that uh, the rest of the world is starting to look for. And uh, certainly, you know, I've, I've been told by some people, numerous people about uh, 
the new restrictions or the, the regulations that the European Union is going to be implementing on materials that they, they want in the battery. So if you're buying a, a battery that's already been made, they want to know where the nickel came from, where the lithium came from and those sorts of things. So having a mine in, in Australia gives you a huge advantage over, say, someone who's got a sourcing their materials from other countries. Right. And, and interesting. And, 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 uh, sorry, Karen. Well, no, I just, I'd pick up uh, on what, what both Joe and Tony have said. Um, this, this, added, this point that essentially, you know, end users and, and buyers of these commodities, um, going forward are, are going to be looking at, you know, the sustainability footprint of those and, and, and where they're from. And, uh, that, that I think is, it hasn't, it, it is something that's evolved even in the last couple of years, um, re- really, really strongly. And, and it's something for us in Europe, um, where we, we do have a history of mining, particularly in Finland, there's, there's a significant mine just down the road from us, but still, um, embedded in our decision making is, you know, are the geological targets that we're looking for well suited to where the world's going? And, and, and for us, predominantly, we're looking at higher grade sort of, um, underground, potentially underground operations, um, that can have a, a much smaller footprint. Um, and therefore, you know, be, be more acceptable in terms of, you know, the, the, the environmental impact, um, and, 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 you know, the, the, the more, the sustainability impact more broadly. Right. And so, Tony, just, I want to I'd just jump in there and agree with Fabian on that one is that, that the nickel project that we are, um, developing up in, in the, uh, the Pilbara, um, it's in almost everything is pointing towards it ha- having to be an underground mining operation. Uh, the days of having great big open pits, particularly uh, near population centres, is is gone probably. And so ours will be an underground mining operation. It's for environmental reasons. It's for cultural reasons, heritage reasons, CO2 footprint reasons. Everything is pointing to you minimise your, your surface footprint, uh, and that just adds to the... Uh, to the attractiveness of your project uh, for the end users. Right. And, and so, Sonny, I was, I was going to ask you, in, in terms of sort of listening to everything that you're hearing from, from the guys, I mean, um, and even some of what you've said, is like, do you, do you have to approach advancing your project differently today than, say, five years ago, ten years ago, because of these kind of the ESG component? It's, it's you know, it's front of mind. It's, it's the first thing off people's lips. Um, does that make it harder, more expensive, um, more complicated, or is it just you, you just need to kind of work your way and navigate your way through this new system of yes, right? Yes, to all of them. It. It, right. is, it is hard. I mean, if I want to go back far enough in, in history, um, 20 years ago, and I was the geologist that found the Cosmos nickel deposits, um, from discovery to the producing and selling of the first concentrate was less than two and a half years. Now you can't even do an environmental survey within two years. So Things have changed a lot in the last uh, decade or two, and even in the last more recently than that. So yes, we actually need to change the way that we operate, um, and we need to be able to do that. We need government to be able to be supportive. So you can't have one arm of the government supporting you and another arm of the government putting roadblocks in your way. So we really need this to be a company, community, government um, trilogy all working together. Right, and are you getting that support? Yes. <laughs> Right, um, sort of. Yeah. Yes, okay. it is, but it's it's new. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any problem from our point of view as a company. It's no problem from the local community point of view. It's bringing the government or getting the recognition from the that the government themselves, they need to be on the front foot helping as well. And that's starting to happen now. It's both at a state and a federal level here in Australia. 
but I still think that the, the, the governments have got a long way to go. And, and, and Joe, I can ask you, because obviously you got a $15 million grant recently, um, so you, you know you obviously know how to kind of work the system, but you know what, what is the government getting out of that? Why are they giving you more giving you that money to support your business what 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 does that relationship look like uh look i think just to step back um there's scale counts in terms of recognition so there's there's a lot of exploration businesses around the last time i looked there was about 800 uh listed entities on the asx that are, were exploration businesses so to get the government's attention you need to have a certain scale to you so typically you have to be in development with at least uh, a PFS and then a, and, and a line of sign the DFS. So um, our lives were transformed when we were granted major project status. Um, and so that's an accumulation of all the exploration work we've done in our early phases and then all the, the other 12 um, modifying factors and technical studies under the dual code that we've done since. So uh, I, I think as an explorer, it was hard to get recognition and you basically just did what the regulator told you and that it's those standards have changed but what uh, systematically accelerates you is a concierge style service so we're based in new south wales we've, we've got a state significant development we have a we have a go-to point in, in that government we've got a go-to point in major projects in canberra uh, canberra has subsequently created a critical minerals facilitation office so that's a go-to point for for those of us in that sphere and that's made life just a lot easier and once you're on that conveyor belt as being the next one or two mine of its type, then you start to get all that attractiveness. But it's a tough haul. To get to that end of the queue, you've just got to persevere with it. Right. Um, but I've got to say the federal government, both the last one and the inc this incoming uh, one since the election, uh, are, are bending over backwards to facilitate the delivery of these critical minerals projects. Right. And and, and Fabian, if, if I if I go to you here, um, it's kind of it's kind of interesting times, and again, as um, we've said, retail investors we're getting lots of inbounds. People want a little bit of hand holding, want to understand what they should be looking at. I'm a bit long in the teeth, uh, and you know, a couple of guys on here have been through a few cycles. You're comforted by the fact knowing that, look, um, these, these cycles happen every now and again. There's dips in the market, and we come out the other side. It's fine. It's a kind of short term event, but nevertheless, I, I still feel nervous if I'm looking at a sea of red on my on my screen. Are there any green shoots that you're aware of that I should be think I should be looking at, which may lend comfort to me um, until we come out the other side? Well, I think, <clears throat> sorry, um, I, I think those green shoots um, sort of come to some extent come come uh, as a result of this this downturn. So that that shaking of the tree. And I think, um, Matthew, uh, in an earlier conversation, you put it this way, the dead branch is falling off. You know, just, just that in itself um, is, is helping uh, allow the, the companies that are um, better established for success basically come to the fore. Um, so, you know, as, a, as an investor, um, your job becomes a little bit easier because you're, you're suddenly whittling down through these, through these companies that are, you know, being uh, hit by these, this negative sentiment more strongly. Who are showing their inability in that market to be able to raise money or drive the project forwards, etc. So, so it, it does help narrow the market to those those quality companies that that then, you know, you can you can more, with more confidence invest in who will ride through choppier markets and then be well placed to uh, to do well when things pick up. Well, I mean, you're in the lucky position of you're sitting on a bunch of cash, so in a very meaningful way, it. 
It doesn't affect you so much. I think everyone's share price chart looks fairly similar at the moment, last two or three months. Um, but if you're sitting on cash, you can get on with a plan. Um, so in a way, do you, do you feel that you're slightly immune to what's going on at the moment, Fabian? Yeah, look, I, I, I watch the share price every day, uh, just like many of our shareholders do. And as I see it, we've got to tread that, that fine line. You know, putting out great news in this market probably won't do a huge amount. Um, you, but that doesn't mean you, you, you do nothing. Uh, you know, I think you, you, you still need to drive forward your agenda and show that, show that you can deliver. Um, you know, maintaining a level of news flow and activity. You know, you don't always need to find people to, to buy. You also need to give, you know, current pe people with current conviction a, a reason to hold and, and, you know, continued belief in, in the company. So, um, you know, our cash position and strategy does put us in a good, spot for the current market and and we're trying to use it to our advantage so yeah we're working through some some permitting aspects um while doing a, a bit of exploration on our norwegian project we've got geophysics running there today and 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 that'll that'll feed into a maiden drill program there but on our on our sort of flagship asset in in finland that that's going through a permitting process that won't allow us to be drilling until later next year yeah so we can move all of those things forward but but we can also we, we've also got a a program looking for new assets and and again this market gives us the opportunity where where prices are slightly depressed you know we we can be a more nimble um potential buyer or, or investor in an asset um and you know that that for us we see as an opportunity okay interesting i i guess we we, we could get on to you know how has inflation affected you and maybe we'll come back to that because uh, it's going to affect different people in different ways but um joe so i want to stick with this kind of green shoots um thing like again with conversations that you've had sort of bouncing around the world what what, what clues are you getting about recovery and imminent recovery yeah so so we're well entrenched in discussions with uh, major funds in terms of strategic uh, investment and the comment I'll make is both one from a fund and also one um, in terms of project finance on the credit side. Um, the view that we're taking away is that it's the next rate rise or so that will determine whether the overall trajectory in terms of inflation is, in, is under control. So we've had one series of rate rises. In Australia, the new CPI numbers and next rate rise are due in the next two to three weeks. Um, and it's, it's less about inflation. It's more about interest rates and cost of capital. So it's inflation is the root cause from which the uh, the remedy may be the one that kills you in terms of the cost of capital. But in both cases, it's seen that aggressive central bank uh, intervention um, will get this thing under control. It's a matter of how many whack-a-moles you've got to do. Is it whack it twice, whack it three times? But ultimately, this thing will be under control. Um, and so the view we've got internally is that this will be done and dusted by the end of the year because of that aggressive view. The other one I'll give you is um, I, I'm dealing in um, in terms of the the IPO market with, with a legal firm, um, and they've told me that in the last three months, and this is a, a firm that deals with fairly the large end of town in terms of, of listings, last three months opportunity sets have dried up, but what they're now starting to see is the first of those pre-engagement style. Um, companies come back to look to get back into the market. So there's a sense that this thing will run out. All of those anecdotes are bullish in the sense of, I think, we'll have a workout by Christmas or so, at least a steady state. Not to say the markets will rally, but will stop this in, in, inevitable sell down and panic. Once panic is arrested, we'll start to get stability. 
Okay, that, that's interesting. That, it, it's kind of like the kind of behind the scenes stuff when you start seeing the the engine turning again. Um, that's 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 interesting. And what, what about you, Tony? Are you seeing anything? There's been a, a pretty busy year and a half where uh, the cost of doing exploration and, and studies and the like, consultants, contractors, staff, etc., has been going up and up and up. And and not only the price has been going up, but the availability of, of people to do the work has been uh, quite limited. Mm. But that seems to be turning around a bit now. We are getting inquiries from people that are looking for opportunities or, or drilling companies have now got more rigs than they do have than they had previously available. So things are turning around a little bit. Just it will reduce the cost of doing our business you know, over the next six to twelve months, which is a, is a good thing. Um, and as and as the other members of the panel have talked about, it's it's having sufficient uh, financial resources behind you to be able to ride through this next few months and come out the other side still actually doing business. Um, yes, it's uh, putting out good news is probably an opportunity for some people to sell into that good news, but um, you still need to work. You still need to. You can't go into hibernation and sit back and wait for this to blow over. Um, we need to continue to work to develop to progress. And then, and continue to put the news out. And when the market does turn and the sentiment becomes positive again, we're in a good position. We're at the front of the pack to go forward. Yeah, and I think I think that's true for for all of you. Also, companies with strong fundamentals. I mean, just just sticking with the kind of Aussie component um, here, Tony. I mean, are you seeing people? raising capital at the moment? Is that that degree of confidence? Because obviously it feels like a very expensive time to go and raise uh, money in the in the market unless you're desperate or unless you've got a good use of it. So is, is that side of things well, probably, on the up? For the first four months of this year, most of the raisings were people, that, or not people, companies that were going out there and raising 10 to $100 million. And the, there were big licks of money being raised by, by companies uh, who had good projects. Uh, over the last month of the financial year there was um in june there was probably it completely dried up first couple of weeks of july it's starting up again but it's right at the micro end of town so it's half a million to two million dollar raisings are happening now um and there was a there was a couple of stories about it in the media today about that so things might be turning around um but i think people have been sitting on the those that have got a lot of cash have been sitting on it and watching and waiting but maybe just maybe things are turning around now which will be good okay if you, if you um, put a light at the end of the tunnel, which, which is kind of what we want, you know, breathe more easily. Um, look, guys, I'm gonna I'm just gonna finish off by asking each of you, you know, to put forward your investment case. You know, why should investors, perhaps not uh, on on board with you yet, be looking at a company like yours? Um, as you know, so I, you know, I, I talk about. And I believe this is all three of you, you know, companies with good, strong fundamentals. Um, why you, Fabian? Why King's Rose Mining? Sure. Well, you know, King's Rose, um, as of the last uh, 12, 18 months, is an entirely new rebooted company. Uh, okay. So the, the, the board and management has gone through a big shift. Um, and we've been able to take the proceeds of our former mining operation and now focus these on, 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 on exploration. And basically that, that real value Curve, that really steep value curve that, that can be ridden from, from discovery through resource definition up to, to your, your economic studies. And, and so what we've been able to do is, is get hold of some assets in a great first tier jurisdiction in, in Finland and Norway, um, down the road from, from existing mines. And, and these are projects with historical works that, that we have a very clear geological understanding of, of the asset. And actually on one of them, we just put out this is the Pennycat project in Finland. We just 
um, released an, a JORC compliant expiration target, uh, which is an independently um, put together uh, estimate of what a future resource might look like. And that has come in at between 2.8 and 7.7 million ounces of combined um, platinum group and precious, precious metals. But importantly, at perhaps at probably the highest grade of any PGE dominant exploration project globally. Um, so we're sitting on uh, an asset that uh, is commodities, which 40% of which comes from Russia and the other 40% comes from, from South Africa, where they're being hit by various issues in terms of power shortages, labor, and a lot of the mines are getting very deep uh, and, and, and lower grade. So with, with, with that combined with um, the EU drive to, to domestically produce these, um, we're sitting in, in, you know, we think pole position there in, in Europe to, to drive forward to really nice high grade, low footprint um, PGE project. And Joe, what about you? Yeah, so um, Cobalt Blue has a long life project. Um, we're a top five scale ex-Africa, so this is a very meaningful introduction of metal to the market. We're an integrated mine refinery, so we are unique, though that's a word that's overused. We are unique in the sense no other mine in the world will make a battery or a precursor-ready cobalt sulfate. Um, and the next six months or so, we will be finalising operations at large-scale demonstration plants, so we'll be turning 3,000 tonne of ore into over 3,000 kilograms of various products. They'll be shipped to partners. The difference this year versus last with the smaller scale is this year we'll be looking to pre-qualify that product. It's a very high hurdle in terms of purity of supply to get into the battery chain, but we're looking to do that by Christmas. So what shareholders can look forward to is next six months is a proof of concept from the demonstration plant, which will underpin the risk um, studies um, for delivery of the DFS and the banking lending towards that. Um, we're looking for a partner. So we're also shipping these products to partners we're looking to uh, create long dated offtakes with. And again, that 25 onwards timeframe when we believe the hockey stick for critical minerals demand will pick up. And the final thing is it is a blue sky option. We're over-specking our downstream sulfate refinery to take in excess of 5,000 tonne of metal equivalent. Uh, whereas our mine will only produce about three and a half thousand tonne. What, what we want to do is have first mover advantage in making precursor-ready cobalt in Australia and then work collaboratively with the industry. Typically, cobalt is a byproduct of nickel in Australia. Work collaboratively with the industry to bring those cobalt units in and make a much larger portfolio of battery-ready product. Now, all of that um, will, be, uh, will have sh a surety around it between six and 12 months from now. Brilliant. And, and Tony, why don't you take us out? With our, our Andover project, Azure is, is perfectly positioned to actually uh, take this all the way through into production. In less than within the two years since we acquired the project, we've made two great discoveries, which are now at the resource stage. Um, but we're running simultaneously with the exploration and resource definition drilling, we're running a parallel pathway, which is the development studies pathway. So we're probably three quarters of the way through the initial study, which is the scoping study, which should be ready for product, um, publication in the first quarter of next year. And then with things looking very positive, and, and so far they are, that we would look to take that straight through into the feasibility study stage. Um, and we, we see this as uh, the Andover project being located in the West Pilbara, just outside of the town of Caratha and a very mining friendly jurisdiction that uh, from the funding, from the permitting point of view, from the construction point of view, you couldn't get a more ideally located um, mining project. So we see this project as something that we can carry 
forward from now to through the feasibility study stage, permitting, financing, and construction. So potentially by 2026, we could be in the production stage. Brilliant. Gentlemen, uh, thank you very much for your time today. I thought it was a really interesting romp through lots of the topics which, you know, have concern, me concern retail investors at the moment. And I feel a little bit more comforted. So uh, I would say this, people watching, listening to this, um, if you have, if you aren't already, um, please have a look at Kings Rose, uh, mining cobalt blue and azure minerals, three very strong battery metal thematic, uh, companies that perhaps you want to think about investing in. Thank you, gentlemen.